shelter-in-place is the primary strategy for people to survive a contagious disease, but for a business, it isn't so simple. One thing that the past two months has clearly taught us is that we are a resilient and stubborn bunch. It has taught us that there are many interconnected links within our global and local communities, woven together in a complex web of social behavior, consumerism, supply and demand, religious dogma, political ideology, and preference in video call service. As the possibility of venturing out into the wide and virally scary world creeps closer to reality, there will most certainly be changes in our experience as a human in society. I have found one phrase has dominated my conversations over the past week. Although there will be many changes, all change presents opportunity. And in order to take advantage of that opportunity, a business must pivot. My name is Wes Biggers, and you are listening to Pivot in Place. Before we get started, if you like the ideas you hear, take a moment to like and subscribe to this podcast. Then, tell someone about it if you think it would be helpful to them. That's the best endorsement what I'm doing can get on the market. I'll have a real website up soon at pivot-in-place.com, putting the finishing touches on that, hopefully. For those of you that listened to last week's episode, this theme probably sounds familiar. In the light of my show last week, I am returning to Change Means Opportunity, because it really represents a core reason that I started this podcast. A key aspect of a business survival strategy is all about the pivot and how a business owner can either survive a period of change or create an advantage from that change. Keep in mind that this applies to not only the very strange period of COVID social distancing, but for any business at any time. And while I'm talking about creating opportunity from change, there is a difference between Looking for an advantage, looking for opportunity, and taking gross advantage of a situation where others are suffering. Corporate responsibility is really important, especially if you want to have credibility going forward. Keep that in mind. This week is going to be the first of a three-part series I'm calling Customer, Culture, and Cash. Why those three things? Because they are the three critical elements in a business pivot. By its nature, a pivot represents risk. And like any other business decision that a strategist needs to make, the question is whether the risk of the pivot is better than the risk of not changing. Or perhaps it is a question of which flavor of pivot holds the best risk versus reward. Having been in the chair and orchestrated a pivot for my company, and without having previously tried to think about this in such a structured way, there were three things I considered when I looked at a pivot. Customer, culture, and cash. What started me down the path to this week's episode was a conversation about anticipated changes to the character of the customer base. More specifically, how will customer behavior change as a result of the pandemic? Today, as the first in the three-part episode, we're going to talk about customers. For those of you that don't want to sit and listen to the whole podcast, here's a brief summary of what we're going to talk about. There are several types of changes in customer behavior to be considered for a pivot. The first type of change is a change in the actual customer, such as marketing to a whole new segment of people or companies. 
Second is a change in what draws a customer to your store. Things like price, selection, convenience, or they stop coming to your store because online alternatives are more attractive. Third is a change in what customers value and how you can better meet those needs to be more competitive. Sometimes those needs aren't directly tied to what they buy, but to the shopping experience. So, in the first case, a change in customer behavior may be the result of a change in the actual customer. Talking with a recent acquaintance, their customer has been selling into the commercial food industry, restaurants. That is one market segment that is brutally challenged during this period. And as you might conclude, the volume of supplies that they purchase have likewise dropped precipitously. For consumers, grocery store supply chains have been taxed beyond capacity. A reasonable conclusion would be for wholesale food suppliers to begin to adjust for a direct-to-consumer customer base. Another aspect of a change in customer behavior would be the retail industry. In this situation, the actual target customer may not change at all, but their behavior or the restrictions on their actions or behavior is having an impact. Relying on the walk-by shopping experience doesn't have a lot of appeal anymore. So a savvy shop owner needs to consider alternative marketing practices. What were the key factors that brought a customer to your shop versus somewhere else? Was it personal relationships with the floor sales team? Perhaps it was that you carry something not easily found elsewhere. Or, as in the case of the ubiquitous big box stores, the one-stop shop and comparative shopping selection was the attraction. Whatever it was, how do you maintain that connection with your customer? One concept to remember is the commonly quoted generalization that it costs five times as much to acquire a new customer as it does to keep an existing customer. That can be a compelling financial consideration when thinking about how to reach out and keep connected with existing customers versus getting new ones. And at a time when reduced volume makes it harder to put enough into the top of the P&L funnel, do you really want to take on the additional cost of new customer acquisition? The last part of customer behavior shift is to consider a shift in the existing customer preferences. Being incredibly obvious and obtuse about this, consider where the biggest risk comes when we venture out of our protective bubbles. There is a risk in anything we touch, especially when we have to touch something that everyone in line before us has had to touch. I find it increasingly amusing and frustrating that retailers haven't capitalized on the proximity payment methods like Android and Apple Pay. Credit card terminals must be one of the most touched places in every store. Yet, even though the technology exists and it literally is in the pocket of almost every consumer, nobody seems to be utilizing that as a method of eliminating one significant contamination point. How easy would it be to create a lowest-risk, almost-touch-free shopping environment? And how many people would that attract? versus going to the alternative volume grocery store where literally hundreds of people touch the exact same surface all day long. Shop here because we help you limit your contamination possibilities. It's safer for you and safer for us.
Now, I realize that I'm focusing primarily on a consumer customer model, which is ironic because most of my business experience has been business to business. If you are in that world, what do your business customers feel are their highest risk factors in this new dynamic? Are they worried about possible contamination to their warehouse and logistics staff? Perhaps they are heavily communications and IT-driven and are worried about security with the increase in remote working connections to their network and data. Are they concerned about the supply chain continuity for critical parts? If they will continue using a product and are willing to agree to an extended purchase volume but can't warehouse or immediately pay for supply but don't have a problem committing to the volume over time, does that represent an opportunity for you to give them security and continued operations while also leveraging your warehousing and purchasing capabilities to give you continued business stability? Those are all examples in changes in existing customer behavior for existing business operations. But there is also the possibility of a new customer altogether. An easy example of that is a machined parts manufacturer in the automotive industry. When the call came out for respirators and the fact that the custom parts for those respirators were only manufactured in small batches by specialty companies was limiting the production of capacity, an automotive industry supplier suddenly became a biotech equipment manufacturer. It took some fast moving on the part of the machine shop to verify technical compliance, but created a whole new market because of a change in customer. Not to mention the well-reported pivot of a car manufacturer becoming a respirator manufacturer during the emergency. Just because a company makes a pivot does not necessarily mean that the pivot is permanent. A pivot is simply an adaptation to capture an opportunity. It doesn't have to mean abandonment of an existing business. And when there is no longer the opportunity for that pivot is gone, a company can use the agility learned during the pivot to find another opportunity. In short, companies that can pivot quickly have a competitive edge. Every time there is change, whether rapid or slow, there is opportunity. It is your decision whether you want to capture that opportunity. It is your decision how hard you are willing to work and how much you are willing to spend to capture that opportunity. It's also your choice as to how adaptable you want your company to be in order to capture future opportunities. And if you are one of the very few lucky individuals in the world with the vision that nobody else has, you can use opportunity to make change. Isn't that what Frederick Smith did in 1971 when he founded Federal Express? He saw an opportunity, and by creating overnight delivery through the utilization of information technology and transportation infrastructure, he changed the face of the logistics industry and the consumer experience. It is reasonable to conclude that without Mr. Smith's vision, Amazon as a company and a shopping experience would not be what it is today. Customer, culture, and cash. The three elements of a business pivot. That's this week's show talking about customers. Next week, I'll talk about business pivot from the perspective of culture. My name's Wes Biggers. Thank you for listening. This is Pivot in Place.